sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. This is James Fox, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. And I've invited officials who've told me about it on the record, off the record, I've said to them, look, is there any good national security reason that you can think of as to why the public shouldn't at least be allowed to see these videos? Because frankly, I think, I mean, I haven't seen these videos. I've had them described to me. From what I've heard, if they were released, it would be game over. I think you would then have an absolute avalanche of media interest and public interest in seeing the phenomenon investigated and the full story told. And perhaps that's why they've kind of done this halfway there thing where they've said, okay, the research that we've done for the UAP task force, it only starts from 2004, from the Tic Tac incident. And I don't think that's a coincidence. They've completely cut out the history of alleged craft retrievals, the history of recovered metamaterials, the history of investigations into alleged archaeologically discovered, landed, found, crashed craft. Now, if it's untrue, come out and say it's untrue. I dare you. You know, seriously, if, if, if it really is untrue that the US has recovered craft, because they've lied about it once in 2011, Say it now. Why did Donald Trump, when his son Don Trump Jr. asked him shortly before the election in 2016, uh, sorry, in 2020, why did Donald Trump suggest that he knew something about Roswell? And it's very, very interesting. And I'd like to tell you more about that, but not right now. Donald Trump said that the President of the United States last, last year intimated that he'd been told something about the Roswell incident that was very interesting. And believe me, I know a politician when he knows something that he doesn't want to tell you. I know that look. And that was the look that Donald Trump had. He was relishing and enjoying that secret knowledge. Why did Barack Obama, during the, the period in the month or so prior to the release of the UAP task force report, why did he give such credibility to a question that was asked of him about the anomalous phenomena that's now being reported by the US Navy. It was clearly a pre-prepared and well-considered answer because when he answered, and it's on the web, 
he made it very, very clear that there is a phenomenon that is real, that is deserving and worthy of further investigation. He didn't mock it. He didn't ridicule it. And this is what I find infuriating because you've got mainstream media still to this day. I mean, I've had conversations with journo mates. I had a conversation with one in London earlier on today. And he um, <laughs> he went, oh, how's your, how are your tinfoil hat crazies, Roscoe? You know, and, and that's the way it's – that's the level at which they pitch. And I was saying to him, I said, mate, seriously, you guys – this is a very big British newspaper. I was saying, you guys need to be looking at this issue. I said, there is a cover-up happening. And he just laughed. He went, oh, mate, got to go, got to go. You know, and, and there's an embarrassment about it because I think people just don't have the wherewithal to actually in, inform themselves. And I guess, frankly, that's what I tried to do with my book. I, I set out, like I always am, as a kind of a, a sceptical observer. And I guess I expected at the bottom of it all to find, yes, there are craft flying around, you know, the Black triangles from 1980s show that there was definitely some kind of solid object flying over Western Europe in the late 1980s. But I was assuming eventually we were going to discover it was some kind of aerospace technology that either the US or Russia or somebody had developed. But the deeper I got into it, the more I got absolutely fascinated by the fact that there is a really genuine mystery here. Somebody's lying. And, and frankly, the only way you can call out a lie in a democratic country is by applying pressure and asking questions. And that's why your audience is more powerful and more empowered than it realizes. You need to get on the phone, start writing letters to your uh, parliamentary representatives. Let the prime minister know that you care about this as an issue. Rattle the cage because the wheel that squeaks gets the grease. Ross, I think that's a really good place to move on to some listener questions for you because you've touched on a few points that Dave wanted to ask. Do you think that a combination of fear of public outcry, powerlessness and not wishing to cede a defence advantage to Russia or China explains the UFO cover-up or would you care to share any other reasons? Firstly, I think the claim that they haven't revealed this information because they're worried about a public outcry is bollocks. It's absolute rubbish. I mean, I think the millennial generation is more prepared for the possibility of intelligent non-human life than any generation before it. You know, our media is super saturated with that possibility, and I think they're open to it. Uh, religion has diminished to such an extent that I don't think it has the hold it once had outside of the Pentagon. I'm told there are a number of religious zealots in the Pentagon who are trying desperately to stop us investigating the phenomenon because it's demonic or satanic. But um, what I do think is persuasive is let's hypothesize for a moment. Let's consider the possibility that the United States is in possession of recovered technology. Let's assume they've got a working spacecraft, and let's assume they've possibly even been able to fly it. But let's assume they are completely flummoxed as to how it's powered and to how to replicate it, and they've been trying to replicate it since 1947. Don't know why I picked that date. What do you reckon? The reality is I suspect that's what's been going on. And I think that the Cold War created the culture of secrecy that has surrounded this issue for the last 76, 77 years. But 
The reality is that culture, the reasons for that secrecy, no longer hold. Although I will concede this. If I was in possession of this technology, I wouldn't be telling that UFO podcast about it until I knew everything I knew about it, until I knew how to master that technology. And for what it's worth, one of the things I was told when I was in the United States was that the Russians have also recovered technology. The Chinese apparently haven't. And apparently there's a huge Cold War race going on to replicate and back-engineer whatever they've got. And I'm told also that's one of the reasons why the Chinese have been taking an extremely close interest in American defence, not just because they want to get the plans for the F-35 or the F-22, but because they're also trying to find out what it is that the United States government knows about anti-gravitics and alternative propulsion systems and power systems, free energy. Let's consider that as a hypothetical. If you had possession of that technology and you were the President of the United States, I reckon you'd keep it secret. And I don't blame them for lying about it. I'm just calling them out on the lie. I'd lie about it too. Hell, I'd keep it secret. But I think we're at a really interesting juncture now because, frankly, the polls show the majority of Americans think the government is lying to them about UFOs. And there's a certain thing, I believe, which is the wisdom of the crowd. As a journalist, I've learned over the years to read the mob. And often the mob is way ahead of government policy. And I think the crowd, you know, the average punter, as we call them in Australia, um, I think you guys call them the Clapham, the man on the Clapham omnibus, um, they, uh, they basically called it years ago. They, they, they think this is BS, that the government is hiding something. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I was, I was talking to somebody the other day about the Night of the Black Triangles. I think it was 1983, January 1983, where there was an extraordinary number of sightings of black UFO triangles over the United Kingdom. And they sent me a... National Archives, British National Archives. Is it still National Archives or is it Public Records? I can't remember, but it's your National Archives. And in there, there's a document that is a a file that pertains to this 1983 period. And, oh, what a surprise. It's locked up until 2087. It's there in the National Archives files, and it's locked up until 2087. Now, It was suggested by one sceptic that the reason why it's locked up is purely and simply because there's private information, that there are the names and the addresses of witnesses. Now, that's bollocks because I've spoken to witnesses who gave evidence in Australian UFO files that are kept by our Defence Department. One of them was a soldier. I rang him the other day and his name and address were in the file and I tracked him down after it was 40 years later. And he was quite happy to be talking to me. And he knew that under the National Archives laws, those privacy protections only lasted for 30 years. There's a presumption of release. So why the hell did the British government keep secret a UFO incident that took place in January 1983? What possible reason could there be for keeping that data secret for over 100 years? Now, I said to my friend who told me about this, I said, 
why don't you put an FOI in and ask for an explanation? What's the exemption that they're applying? And if it's a personal privacy exemption to protect the anonymity of the people that gave evidence, then that's bullshit. And it should be released. It should be challenged in the courts. But I don't understand why people don't realize that in plain sight, to quote the title of my book, there is a cover-up going on. Governments are basically hiding information on the phenomenon. And frankly, if they're as mystified as we all are by the phenomenon, why not be open about it? Why not disclose it? Why hide it? Why conceal data? Why hide information? Why lie through their teeth about what happened at Raf Bentwaters, Rendlesham? I mean, when you hear, as I have, Charles Holt, Colonel Charles Holt, the American colonel who went into that forest in um, uh, Christmas 1980, when you hear his account of what he saw and what happened subsequently, and then you hear the lame explanations from debunkers who assert that all it was was a lighthouse light, they haven't stood, as I have, in that forest with a compass and looked at where he says he was standing and where the lighthouse light was and actually done those measurements. Why do we so glibly accept the assertions of debunkers and armchair pundits who speculate about reasons? And once any remotely plausible explanation is given, it's seized upon because it's a prosaic explanation that makes us feel more comfortable about our world. Why do we hide from the possibility that there is indeed something quite extraordinary that is being hidden by your government, by my government, and by the US government? And and frankly, why does the British public, for example, put up with the fact that somebody in officialdom has decided to keep a document confidential for no good reason for a hundred years. Rattle the cage, guys. Get in there. Start kicking teeth. These politicians work for you, not the other way around. And if they tell you you can't have it, take a legal case. Challenge it. People have got to stop asking start, – sorry, start asking questions. They've, they, you know, One of the things that people say to me is, what are you going to do about this? I'm one person. People are empowered with freedom of information laws, and they don't seem to realize that national archives laws have essentially a presumption of release, and they're separate from FOI legislation. Once the 30-year rule's up, you have a presumption for release. And so I'm using that a lot in my research. I don't use the FOI Act much because it's a bit of a joke in Australia, but the national archives laws are fantastic. And people should. They should be going back and looking at the history Um, One of the things that fascinated me in my book was going back and looking at the history of the RAF Bentwaters base in Suffolk, and I discovered in uh, the Condon report that one of the few cases that they were begrudgingly acknowledging they couldn't explain was an incident that had been very rigorously investigated also by Project Blue Book where they frankly admitted they were confounded. It was objects that were tracked on multiple independent radar systems in the 1950s that were flying at thousands of kilometres, thousands of miles an hour, and dozens of witnesses, including fighter pilots, saw them up close. And this sighting, to me, was something I mentioned very briefly in my book, but It gobsmacked me. Why hadn't I heard about this? Why hadn't the witnesses been videotaped or interviewed? What's going on here? You know, do we just give up and wait for governments to sort of spoon feed us with whatever they're going to give us in a 50, 60, 75 years time? Frankly, 
the only way people are ever going to find out about this is by becoming more proactive and by asking questions and making it a political issue for Whitehall, for your parliament, for my parliament in Australia, and for Congress in the United States. Uh, and I've been talking to people in Russia. It's the same thing. I've spoken to Russian generals who've told me about sightings that they witnessed personally that remain unexplained, that are recorded in Soviet archives that have also been covered up and sat on. And so I know this is a very long-winded answer, long-winded answer, but you know what I suspect? I suspect our military and intelligence services are so fucking incompetent they don't want to have to admit they have no bloody idea. And at the bottom of it is it's a bunch of alpha males who are entrusted with billions of dollars a year, and in the US's cases, trillions over many years, trillions of dollars being spent on defence and national security. And yet they cannot assure the American public that they can protect them against a phenomena that is doing in their airspace. They cannot even say that they can explain it. It's bewildering them. So I suspect the real reason for the cover-up is, and this is a journalistic maxim I've gone by for most of my career, always assume a screw-up before a conspiracy. I think somewhere there's a dweeb general, there's a nerdy little Air Force officer who just doesn't want to have to admit he has no bloody idea. It's as simple as that. But I do suspect that somewhere at the apex of the military hierarchy, especially in America, there are one or two people who really do know what's going on, and they're keeping the rest of us ignorant. And I suspect the real answer lies in private aerospace. This secret was privatised decades ago. They saw you coming. Anna has a question. She wants to know, how does Ross reconcile the fact that Chris Mellon said he wasn't aware of crash retrieval or back engineering programs, but Lou Elizondo said that the government does have materials retrieved from a crash? It's a wonderful inconsistency. It's a very good question, Anna. And uh, uh, more recently, Christopher Mellon admits that he may have had the wool pulled over his eyes. I mean, the thing I found fascinating about Mellon when I started researching him is Chris was a staffer with the Senate Intelligence Committee as a young man. And this is a guy, by the way, who is independently wealthy, one of the most wealthy people in America, the Mellon family. He's just driven by a notion of public service, hugely admirable, likable person. And he's thrown himself into public service. And he's just the sort of guy you would want to go and investigate a UFO cover-up. And believe me, I think he tried. Just like Dick D'Amato, who was in exactly the same role, Richard D'Amato, about 30 years before him. And if you read Jacques Vallée's Forbidden Science, Volume 4, Richard D'Amato is lamenting that he, as a senior staffer on the Senate Intelligence Committee, which arguably, funnily enough, probably had higher clearances than Chris did in his role as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Defence, go figure, um, he couldn't get access to this information. And I think the reason why, Anna, is because of what I mentioned earlier. It's because it's locked up in private aerospace. I, uh, I strongly believe that if something has been recovered, 
It was kept inside the Department of Energy for decades until the 1970s when the freedom of information laws were brought in and applied to the DOE. And whatever they had, I'm told, was moved out of the DOE and put into the auspices of a private aerospace company 50 years ago, 60 years ago, no, 50 years ago. And uh, I think that explains why, because it's not subject to the – I mean, if you look at a document known as the EWD notes, the Eric Wilson – the Eric Davis notes, the the Wilson memo, Admiral Wilson memo – Tom Wilson, the former director of the DIA, denies the document's provenance. And I should say right up front that because he denies the document's provenance and because Eric Davis won't verify the document's provenance, we can't do anything with it. But if, hypothetically, that document was an accurate record of a conversation between a director of the DIA and Eric Davis, and Hal Putoff, Eric Davis's boss at the time, has said that Eric Davis did have a conversation with Admiral Tom Wilson... If Admiral Tom Wilson did have a conversation with Eric Davis, and if he made the admissions that are made in that extraordinary document, then it would verify that the cover-up is kept from the person who is most allowed to know everything in the United States government, the president. Even the president isn't briefed. And that contrary to what is normally the case, where special access programs, the most you know, the most uh, secret secrets of all in the U.S. government, are, are normally uh, oversighted if they're super secret by a special committee called the Special Access Program Oversight Committee, and the waived, unacknowledged special access programs, which are the most super, super, super secrets of all, are not even put on paper, and they're briefed just to the Gang of Eight, which is a group of congressmen and senators uh, in the Congress. So there's still oversight of the most intense secrets inside the US military. But I'm told that what we're talking about here doesn't even fall within that oversight. It's been kept from the oversight controls of the Congress, which is illegal, possibly a contempt of Congress, a crime. This is why Christopher Mellon and Lou Elizondo are so determined to try to push for congressional hearings. Because I've spoken to some of the people who've been approached to give evidence for congressional hearings. And if they are given assurances that they are allowed to breach their secrecy oath, if the president signs a warrant saying, an executive order saying, you are hereby released from your oath of secrecy, and you can tell the American public under oath what you know about the program, I think there will be some astonishing admissions made. And for reasons I find a little complex and hard to understand, Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, and others seem very, very certain that those hearings are going to happen. That's not my reading of Congress, to be honest with you. I actually don't think hearings are going to happen. I don't think they ever will happen. Um, But The bottom line is, in short answer, Anna, I think the secret is buried so deep, far away from the scrutiny of the traditional legal oversight capacities of the Congress, that 
it may very well be there's an executive order going back to Truman or Eisenhower's time that has allowed this perceived illegality to be legal. Because I, I find it gobsmacking if it really is the case, as I've been told by people, that this is a secret that is being kept in private aerospace, only known about by a very, very small number of people inside the US government, and certainly not automatically by presidents, only a few presidents being briefed into it, then how the hell would Christopher Mellon have got to know about it? You know, he was a committee flunky and a a fairly senior defence official, but if you're not read into a program, you're not allowed to know about it. I mean, Matt Kobitz, the head of Navy Science Technology Development, was only read into the program when it was decided that he needed to be told. And he was the chief geek for the US Navy. And even then, he didn't get to see the objects, the craft, as he called them. But he was shown bits of a craft, and that's possibly why he was read in at some stage, because they wanted him to analyze and use his skills to to assess technology to see if there was a way that they could replicate it, perhaps. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, let's hypothetically assume that they are hiding something. There are ways of illegally hiding this that re- requires evasion of the traditional oversight processes of the uh, Congress. And if the Admiral Wilson document, the EWD notes, is a fair and accurate assessment of the reality, which on the balance of probabilities I suspect it is, then that document acknowledges that the secret was kept on a completely separate database, that the code names that were affecting the program were kept on a completely separate database from the database overseen by the Special Access Program Oversight Oversight Committee or indeed by the members of the Senior Review Group and that arguably even the Gang of Eight in Congress wouldn't get to know about it. But guess who was a member of the Gang of Eight for many, many years? Senator Harry Reid. And who's been beating the drum behind the scenes, pushing for disclosure? Senator Harry Reid. Join the dots. And final listener question, Ross, uh, from John. He wants to know what your thoughts are on the alien abduction phenomenon. I don't know. It's as simple as that. I had a long chat to Melinda Leslie, who I respect enormously, and I've spoken to other experiences and uh, alleged abductees. Um, And frankly, I just don't know what to make of it. Uh, And the problem I have as a journalist is witness evidence is useful, but generally in my book, I've looked for corroboration. And so I'm not there in somebody's bedroom when they say they wake up and they see a grey at the end of the bed and they're taken off to a spacecraft and probed and taken to Zeta Reticuli. You know, I, I frankly, I just don't know. I don't know what's happening. I'm just in the process of reading uh, Ralph Blumenthal's extraordinarily good book about uh, John Mack, the Harvard professor who looked at alleged abductions. And John Mack, uh, a professor and academic of great renown, believed that the abduction phenomenon needed to be taken seriously. I certainly believe it needs to be taken seriously because far too many people have reported a phenomenon for so many years. And the thing that really shocks me is talking to people like Melinda 
is the detail that sometimes they have matches the detail of what other people independently have described. It perplexes me, and I can't explain it. I don't know what's going on. But I've certainly met people who claim to be experiences, and I'm not going to dismiss their experience. I just have no way of verifying it. If somebody can give me a way of verifying it, I'm there with bells on. You know, I said to one guy who was claiming to me that he was having repeated visitations by greys in his bedroom, I said, listen, I could set you up a motion-activated camera. And he went, oh, no, no, I've already got one. I've already tried that. And uh, he actually showed me at one stage this kind of fuzzy image that really didn't show me much of some kind of shape. It had recorded something moving through his room, but I don't know what it was. So, yeah, I mean, I've, if you can help me with a way of corroborating, then I'm there with bells on. But I, I can't think of a way of corroborating it. And the worry is that I must say I'm inclined to the view that we shouldn't be dismissive. It's like, you know what a case, the case I think of a lot, and I, I, I think because my, um, my parents for a while lived in this area, there's that dreadfully sad case of those little girls who were being raped. Is it Rotherham in the Midlands somewhere? It was a town in the Midlands and it was, you know, young girls were going to the cops and saying that they were being systemically sexually abused and raped by men and uh, shocking, shocking, shocking case. And it's only now about 10 or 15 years later that the perpetrators have all been brought to justice. And it turns out that there really was this systemic pedophile ring of men that got off on raping little girls and it was horrific and these girls were going to the police and independently giving their evidence and being treated in isolation as witnesses are treated and frankly nobody was doing the work or maybe they were worse covering up to actually say look I've had four girls saying the same thing to me in the past month and in the case of abductions or experiences, you know, you can't ignore the fact that there are a large number of people who are claiming this abduction experience. So I'm not saying it's real, but I'm not saying it's not real. I just don't know. And if there's a way of corroborating those experiences and and, uh, verifying them, I'd love to hear about it. That probably moves us very nicely onto the quick fire round, Ross, just to finish off. Have you ever been contacted by the Bledsoe family who, when you talk of corroboration, claim to have experiences almost daily and have had a lot of visitors on their property as well? Um, I, I have approached both Ryan and Chris Bledsoe and, and they've agreed to talk to me if and when I come to the United States next. Um, I was hoping to include them in my documentary, but costs and time constraints meant that I couldn't get down to where they live. But yes, I am hoping to talk to Chris. Uh, uh, I I would love to talk to him and I would also love to talk to the members of his family who can independently corroborate what he says he's seen and photographed. It sounds pretty weird. I'd also like, by the way, to go to Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, what are your thoughts on Skinwalker? Oh. <laughs> is, is that what you were about, about to ask to me? Ask yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on Skinwalker Ranch? Yeah, well, was, well I, it's funny. I, I, yeah, that was the one. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think what's happening in Australia's Northwest Cape is very similar to what is happening at Skinwalker Ranch. 
because locals in Northwest Cape, the place where I write about the Harold E. Holt Naval Communications Station, where there's been a, a plethora of paranormal phenomena and anomalous sightings of weird craft, weird hovering objects. It, it sounds very similar to what has been described in George Knapp's excellent book uh, about Skinwalker Ranch, The Hunt for the Skinwalker. And so, um, yeah, that's another place I'd love to go to. Uh, I've spoken briefly to Brandon Fugel, and I listened to his interview, I think it was with you guys, and uh, I've watched the slightly sensationalist, it's too sensationalist for my liking, TV series that's been done on Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, I think it's a History Channel doco. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm persuaded to the fact that there is an anomalous phenomenon that's occurring there, and I love the way that the skeptics assert, well, why hasn't it been able to be captured on film? You know, why don't we have absolutely ironclad, perfect vision of it? And the reality is, is that if you have an intelligent phenomena that is actually anticipating and aware of human presence, of course it can evade detection. I mean, one of the things that really amazed me was to read in the so-called slide nine, which I'm sure you've heard about because it was a great bit of work by a guy from the, um, the UK blog, The Mind Sublime. He found these slides on Chris Mellon's website. And one of the things that the US Undersecretary for Defense was advised that the phenomenon was capable of was instantaneous sensor disassembly. And that's because, I'm told, the DIA witnessed directly, the Defense Intelligence Agency of the United States witnessed when it went out to Skinwalker Ranch, cameras just simultaneously, suddenly having their wires no longer connected to the camera. You know, they were essentially destroyed by forces unknown within the frames of a video camera that was filming that object. Instantaneously, something happened that caused that sensor system to be disassembled. Something's going on. Do we poo-poo it and ignore it because it's weird? I don't think we should. Ross, do you think ETs have ever visited Earth? I'd be very surprised if ETs hadn't visited our planet. I, 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 I think uh, if you... Um, follow Professor Loeb, uh, who's doing the Galileo project now. Uh, have you interviewed him yet? You have. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, I find him fascinating because, you know, he candidly talks about the absolute likelihood of life in other planets. And if you look at the, uh, the, uh, the systems that have been created to predict or the algorithms that have been created to predict, you know, the volume of intelligent life that's out there, you know, it's an absolute certainty that we're surrounded by a universe teeming with intelligent life. To me, the big question is not, is there intelligent life out there, but why hasn't it manifested itself to humanity? Uh, and we can only speculate at that. But yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, Contemporaneously with my skepticism about the extraterrestrial hypothesis, the ETH being the most plausible explanation for the phenomenon, I wouldn't be surprised at all if contemporaneously with future humans or some kind of intradimensional uh, entity that's been manifesting itself on this planet, there are also non-human life forms that are coming from other planets. 
because we do know about the theoretical possibilities of the Alcubier drive, the idea of a faster-than-light drive that can distort space-time and whilst not going faster than light, it is able to travel through the fabric of space in a way that breaks the time space barrier and uh, gets across the universe, uh, theoretically, that's theoretically possible. So I don't think it's at all impossible, according to known science, that we may indeed be on the cusp of an astonishing discovery, that they've been coming here for years, and they're probably here already. Ross, two more. Do you prefer the term UFO or UAP? I think UFO is so stigmatized. It's immediately a word that makes people think of flying saucers and little green men. Hollywood's had so much fun with UFOs. Um, you know, I remember watching a fantastic series on British television called UFO in the 1970s, and it scared the hell out of me as a little boy. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think a more neutral term is unidentified aerial phenomena uh, because it's not stating categorically that this is a craft. And indeed, aerial phenomena is a little bit misleading because I'm told that there is also USOs, underwater submerged objects, and I suppose you could call them unidentified orbital objects as well ooze <laughs> because uh, you know I've, I've spoken to people in Australia's Defence Department who've told me that, that they are involved in the monitoring of space objects and they quite regularly see objects that are defying the predicted trajectories of known space objects they're not satellites and they're not space debris and they appear to be manoeuvring under intelligent control what are they? Finally Ross what does disclosure mean to you? Well, in some disc- to some extent, we've already had disclosure. The United States government has admitted after 60 years of lying that UFOs are real, UAPs are real, and they are a national security concern. Because if you remember back at the end of Project Blue Book, we were told that there was absolutely no truth, really, to the UFO, the UAP phenomenon. We were told that whatever they were, they were more often than not misidentified aircraft, anomalous weather phenomena, nothing to get excited about, and they certainly posed no threat to US national security. And then last year and this year, you've had these momentous announcements from the Pentagon where they've essentially admitted that UAPs are real, they're unexplained, They're doing the five observables, particularly hypersonic manoeuvres, tens of thousands of kilometres an hour. They're tracked on radar. They're solid. People like Lou Elizondo are using the word craft vehicle. This is unknown territory for us. You know, this is real. These concessions are extraordinary. So to some extent, I guess, disclosure has already happened. But I guess in the long run, in my book, disclosure would be the US government admitting what it knows and why. I think the more important question is why did it keep it secret? That's what I want to know most of all. I like to think the best of people who control the secrets. You know, as a younger man, I was far more suspicious to the notion that people in our intelligence services were either evil or incompetent. 
And I've done, I've been privileged to do stories in my career where I've had briefings from defense officials at a very high level, intelligence officials at a very high level. And I've been able to test allegations that are in the public domain. And I've been able to essentially disprove them in my mind. You know, our fears are often misplaced about the technology that we entrust officials with. But at the same time, you know, I think one of the things that should be investigated and should be acknowledged is, um, you know, it is outrageous that the United States government misused the lawful interception laws to essentially conduct mass surveillance on the US population. So every now and then people do go off reservation. They do break rules. They do break laws. But, um, yeah, I mean, I like to think the best of authority. And I, I like to think, I like to give officials an opportunity to explain why things have been kept secret. So for disclosure for me is revealing what they know about the phenomenon. Do they have retrieved technology because it's not enough. I think the risk is at the moment that there's an effort on, and I know there is because I've been told that there is, there is an effort on to try and constrain the narrative. This is why the UAP task force started its investigations from 2004. This is why they've only looked at 144 incidents since that period, which are essentially sightings by military and in some cases commercial pilots. 143 of those being unexplained. And so the US government wants to leave it at that, I'm told. They just basically want to leave you, the public, with the notion that, yes, we've now acknowledged that there is a genuine mystery here and leave us alone for another 75 years while we dither and go away and try and find out what it is. When, in fact, we all know that they're sitting on extraordinary information, extraordinary videos. Lou Elizondo has said as much, and they should release that. That's disclosure in my book. But more importantly, as well as disclosing what they know about that and about retrieved craft, is there any truth to that claim? They have to explain why they lied. What do they know that justifies why they lied? Because they have lied. Ross, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Can you just let people know what is next for yourself, how people can follow you, and of course your work? Uh, okay, well, I'm on Twitter at Ross Coulthard, R-O-S-S-C-O-U-L-T-H-A-R-T. Uh, I do a lot of tweeting. Uh, I'm also on a website, www.rosscoulthard.com. And for my book, In Plain Sight, I have a website, www.rosscoulthard.com in plain sight hyphen book.com and uh, look if you google me you'll find me on different platforms i'm sure you can track me down but uh, yeah i'm really happy to hear from people and uh, i am doing more digging i've had a an extraordinary amount of information come in the door and uh, the lovely thing about it is the UAP documentary that we made, the UFO phenomenon, is available for free on YouTube. And Channel 7 Australia took a huge punt by putting it up there because they were interested in probably selling it to free-to-air television networks. But I think they've learned a lesson from the degree of interest internationally. I think we've now had close to 5 million views of that film on YouTube in different formats. I think we've put it up a couple of times. So the public have made it very, very clear that they're interested in this subject matter. And so my bosses, my editors are saying, hey, Roscoe, we want more good, well-told UFO, UAP stories. Have you got any more in the box? 
So that's what I'm doing. So I'm very interested in doing careful, resourced, well-funded investigative journalism that objectively analyzes the phenomena. And that's what I've tried to do with my book, In Plain Sight. And that's what I've also tried to do with my film, The UFO Phenomenon. And I'm really pleased to hear that your viewers appreciate it and your listeners appreciate it because it means an awful lot to me. No, thank you, Ross. Thanks for your time. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more ass. Meditative game of fateful on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. My boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should seek therapy, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me.